Well, are you ready to dive into our core value of relevance this morning? I want to share with you that definition again. It's the, our core definition of relevance is this. It's we believe God's word contains the solution to every challenge in life. Therefore, we present God's word, say word, the Bible. We present God's word in creative, artistic, and culturally relevant ways. So they asked the youth pastor this morning to speak on relevance, I guess because I'm probably like, they think I'm the most relevant one to talk about relevance because I have to, I get to, not have to, get to minister to the next generation. I love ministering to our high school students. It's an amazing privilege of mine in this generation that we get to minister to now that's in high school is called Gen Z, okay? And Gen Z is awesome. They're way different than generations in the past, and we see that through just how they live their life. But every generation has their own quirks and phrases and terminology that they use that's culturally relevant for them. So today, I want to help you all be relevant. Who wants to be relevant and learn some Gen Z phrases this morning? All right, whether you want to or not, um, we're, we're going to learn some. So um, I'm going to put a Gen Z phrase up on the screen, and I want you to take like 10 seconds, maybe discuss with your neighbor about what you think this Gen Z phrase is, and then I'm going to help you use it in a sentence and tell you what it means. All right, are you ready? Are you ready? All right, I want to help you be relevant. Our first word is bop. Say bop. All right, so. Take about 10 seconds and discuss what this word means to Gen Z. And like the mic is open if anyone wants to share. Anyone want to share this morning what they think it means? I'm just kidding. All right, this is what it means. It means if a song or a beat has good rhythm, it's a bop, all right? So we would use it like this. We would use it like this, or not we, Gen Z would say this. They would say, worship this morning was a bop. Man, it was so good. That's how you would use it, okay? All right, so you want another one? Anybody? You want one more? Two more? Okay, here's another one. And this one is in honor of our pastor. This is our other Gen Z phrase. (laughs) So take like 10 seconds. Talk to your neighbor. What do you think Gen Z means when they say a stand or stand? Are you ready for it? Are you waiting with anticipation? This is what it means. To obsess or to overly support someone means to stand. All right. One more. You ready? And I may or may not have used this one one time. All right. This one is bussin'. <laughs> And um, yeah, this is what busting means. It means this right here. It's something to say when something is really good. So my hope that you would all say this, and it's happened after Saturday's service, after today's service, people came up to me. My hope is you would say this. You would say, Pastor Chris's word was busting today, all right? That's what I hope you say today. But being relevant isn't knowing what crazy Gen Z phrases are or how to relate to the next generation. As a church, being relevant isn't that at all. So how can we as a church become relevant? How can, uh, what new methods can we adopt to be relevant as a church? And what are the latest trends or worship trends that we can do as a church to be relevant? 
Well, truth is, is methods alone don't make a congregation relevant. What a pastor wears on stage, whether it is a button-up shirt or a suit and tie or ripped jeans, doesn't make it relevant. With the, if the worship pastor shows off their brand new tattoo, doesn't make us relevant. And if we sell fair trade coffee or serve fair, fair trade coffee out in the lobby, which it is awesome, by the way, that does not make us relevant. And in showing cool trailers and videos of like the latest movie on our TVs or on our screens during service, that doesn't make us Relevant. Relevance isn't showing any of, those th- any of those things, but true spiritual relevance is revealing a God who can provide hope for us now. Relevance isn't what's new. Rather, it's, it's what has been there all along that matters most. Because methods changed based on community, culture, or denominational direction, but fundamentals never change when it comes to to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me explain. I've been uh, in ministry full-time for 10 plus years. Been ministering to the next generation for over 15 years, even in a part-time span. It's wild. I have listened to successful pastors. I've learned from my own failures and my own successes. I've seen and observed healthy, growing churches, and I've seen unsuccessful churches as well. I've seen it all. And one of the many things that makes this church such a great church is how we continuously present the gospel in both a way that is real, but also relevant. Whether it's boots on the ground in downtown Dayton being the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, or it's in the heat in Africa, establishing a God-sized vision, we want to be relevant. Whether it's in the seats or in a classroom or from the stage, we want to present the gospel in a real and compelling and relevant way that meets each and every person right where they're at in whatever stage of life they are in. And when we do that, church, that is when we become relevant. My question of the day for you is this, is would you go on a journey with me today to discover and achieve what true relevance really is? My goal today, this is my goal, is that all of us today would participate in his story because his story is really our story as well. So today, let's talk about relevance. You know, as a youth pastor, it's my desire to present the gospel to a culture and a generation that's always shifting, changing, and evolving with the gospel that never changes. The gospel is still the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Generations may change, culture may change, but the gospel never changes. But I was, you know, born and raised in the church. I got any church kids here that's born and raised in the church? Yep. The life of a church kid is different, man. I was born and raised in the church. I wasn't, it wasn't an if we're going to church. It was like, we are going to church. And if you were to find me some 30 plus years ago, you would have probably found me in a church, but I would have not been standing on a stage at five, six years old preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Rather, you would have found me in a Sunday school classroom, standing on top of the table, singing at the top of my lungs a song that we sang 
every single Sunday, the song went a little bit like this. I would sing the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand upon the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. And with my blonde hair and my bowl cut, I would shout the Bible as loud as I could. And it's wild to think that then as a kid, uh, th- that what I sang then as a kid has now transcended to a core belief in who I am today because we truly do stand upon the word of God today. When we try to not try to be relevant, the word of God is relevant. I'm obsessed with the word of God. My faith hinges on the word of God. You do know the word of God is alive and active. That book that you're holding on to, that book that we read is not some boring antiquated book that doesn't relate to your life anymore. That book is the only book that has power. It's the only book that is breathing. It's the only book that is alive. It's the only book that was written in antiquity, but yet can speak to the specificity of our lives. I love the Word of God. The Word of God is relevant for us today. I love it. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this. It says, all Scripture, say all Scripture, is inspired by God, and it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives? I love that. We, like, like, I love that it shows us what's right and wrong. It goes on to say, it corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. I love that the word of God points me in the right direct direction. And that verse goes on to say, God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. You see, a man named Paul wrote this passage. And when he wrote this passage, uh, he was not referring to the Bibles that we have today. Because Paul never lived to see the Bible that we have today. Rather, he was writing about the Word of God uh, that was inspired through the Old Testament. And Paul didn't even know when he was writing that, that he was writing his letters for the Bible. Matter of fact, Paul wasn't writing for the Bible. He was writing letters to people and to churches to meet them right where they're at. He was writing relevant letters that talked about the spirit and talked about political and relevant moral issues that the people of that day and age were going through. And that word that Paul wrote has now transcended to a belief that we have as a church. And I can tell you that the Bible is just as relevant now as it was 2,000 years ago. Yes, there are things in the Bible that, that, that we don't live by Levitical law. Like how many of you watched football yesterday? Yeah, come on, Ohio State. Um, Arkansas lost. I was sad. I cried. Um, but, but you know, like there's a Levitical law that says you're not allowed to touch the skin of a pig. So like those football people, not allowed to play football according to Levitical law. Ouch. Yeah, but those, those issues, we may not abide by those laws, but they're still relevant to us today. We can still learn from those issues today. And as we dive into this topic of relevance, my first point is authenticity. And we have to know this. We have to know that the word of God is authentic, but Jesus is authentic as well. If we think of the Bible today as an old book, um, we'll assume that it's our job to make it relevant. We'll think uh, we need to take a message that was belonging to an age long ago and, and we need to translate it to our age today. But truth is, is we don't need to make the Bible relevant because the Bible's already relevant. 
the Bible's already relevant. Our job is to merely show how it's relevant. And our job is to follow the connections that were written there long ago. The Bible today, though it was written thousands of years ago, today it's a contemporary word. It's not just a historical book, but it's a contemporary word. And one of the reasons why it's a contemporary word is that the fundamental truths about life, this world, and people never change. Yes, the world has evolved. Yes, there are cell phones now that they didn't have thousands of years ago. And yes, there are electric cars that drive themselves and park themselves. It is crazy the world we live in. Yes, there are skyscrapers and things that we have in this generation and day and age that they didn't have then. But at the core, say core, core values at the core of who we are remains the same. We are all people made in God's image and we are all sinners in need of a savior and we're still made to know and find our identity in who he is. And the Bible speaks to these issues unlike any other book does. And the Bible contains the true hope of the world, which is Jesus Christ. I love that. Hebrews 4.12 says this, it says, for the word of God, it's alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. I love that the word of God does that. Psalms 119.105 says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. How many of you have ever been in a dark season of your life? I'm thankful that his word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. How many of you you have ever thought, I don't know which direction to go in my life or in my job or in my career. His word can help light the way and light the path for you and for us. His word is authentic. But God has also called his people, us, to be authentic people. If you want to know how to truly be relevant as a person— in your life or your job or your business or your home, be authentic. Be an authentic person of what the word of God says. So a few questions I have for you today is, is who are you really? How do you show up in your job? How do you show up for your kids? How do you show up in your home? How do you show up to church? Who are you really? Because without character, we cannot have relevance. And no one likes to fake it. So when we talk about authenticity, we're not just talking about the word, but we're talking about our life as believers and as Christians. Because I believe when we're authentic in who we are, it'll be attractive to other people. And other people want to know someone who's real, not someone who's always right. Because your rightness as a believer can turn people off if you're not real to the core of what's going on in their life as well. We'll talk about that here in just a second. But in the Bible, we've seen the Pharisees, right? In the time of Jesus, the Pharisees were living in. They had written all of these right rules to live by the word of God. All of these laws were written in place so that they could abide by the word of God. And they'd written all of these laws so that they could live by these laws. But the Pharisees lived by them so much so, there were such prudes in who they were that it turned other people off. And people knew they couldn't measure up or add up to, to these pharisaical laws that had been written. That's why Jesus had to come into our world to empathize with humanity because people knew they couldn't get it right. So God sent his own son to empathize with them. And the truth is, is people don't know, they don't care how much you know, and they don't care how much we know until they know that you care. 
which is why Jesus stepped into humanity to empathize with us. And listen, I love the Word of God. The Word of God is amazing. I believe everything is true from Genesis to the maps in the back. Like, I love everything in between. But my favorite, my favorite part of the Bible to read is the Gospels. I love the Gospels because I get to see the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. Oh, I love the Gospels. We get to see how he walked, how he talked, how Jesus interacted with people, how he spoke with people. We get to see what he did. One scholar said that the Gospels are a Christology in narrative form, meaning the closest thing we have to an autobiography of the greatest man who's ever walked on this planet is the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I love the Gospels, and they came to show who Jesus was in a clear way. And the truth is, is, you know, the picture of Jesus, I believe in our culture and society, it's been distorted. It's been distorted by other believers. It's been distorted just by our culture. And the reality of it is, is when Jesus is not intimately known, he cannot be accurately shown. And he becomes distorted in that culture and society, which is why Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote the gospels so that they could show a clear picture of who Jesus was in four different ways. I love that each author reveals who Jesus was in such a way that was relevant to the audience that they were writing to. Each author explained who Jesus was, but they did it in different ways. If you read the book of Matthew, oh, I love the Gospels. Who loves the Gospels? Anybody with me this morning? I love the Gospels. If you look at the Gospel of Matthew, it's like amazing, right? But if you like watching documentaries, read Matthew, okay? Grab you some coffee because the first part of Matthew is the genealogy of Jesus. It is like baby daddy after baby daddy after baby daddy. It's just all of it. And you're like inundated with it. But Matthew goes through the long and laborious process of revealing to his authors of who Jesus really was. He reveals the, that Jesus fulfilled 300 Old Testament prophecies through the book of Matthew that were written over a 1500 year time span because Matthew wrote his gospel mainly to a Jewish audience who knew the word of God, the Old Testament history and all of that. I love the book of Luke. Luke, man, Luke, show, he was a doctor. Luke shows that Jesus did things that medicine could not do. It shows the miracles of Jesus. And Luke's gospel was written Luke's gospel was written to Gentiles, people who didn't know the history or anything like that. And he wrote it in a different way that was relevant for them. And Mark, I love the book of Mark. It is like action. It starts on with full grown Jesus. Like there is no manger in the book of Mark because Mark wrote his book for Romans, for even Roman Christians who didn't know the history as well. And today we're gonna dive into the book of John though. And John wrote his gospel for non-believers. John wrote his gospel for new Christians. John had to present his gospel in a relevant way to people who didn't know Jesus or were just stepping into a relationship with them because his audience was a different audience. He had to be relevant to their needs, which brings me to my next point, empathy. If you'll follow along with me, I'm gonna read the beginning of what John says. John 1 says this, it says, in the beginning, the word already existed. You see, when John writes his gospel, he doesn't start at the manger. He starts at the very beginning of time. He says, in the beginning, the word, say word. 
our core fabric, right? The word, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God, talking about Jesus. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. It says the word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. I love that. And it says the light, it shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. It's amazing. And the one true light or the one true light who gives light to everyone was coming into the world and he came into the very world he created, but he didn't, uh, but, but it didn't recognize him. The creator came to the very world that he created. Verse 14 goes on to say, so the word became human. I love that the word became flesh. The word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness and we have seen his glory, the glory of the, of the father's one and only son. Verse 16 says, from his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another for the law, the word was was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ, that word who became flesh. And no one has ever seen God, but the unique one who he, who, who is himself God is near to the father's heart. He has revealed God to us. You see, Jesus stepped into our world to show us how much he cares to empathize with humanity. And he came to reveal to us in a relevant way who God really was. Jesus wasn't some distant, far off God who sits on a throne with the crown of royalty just up there. No, he came to do life with us. Yes, he is seated and lifted high today, but he came to do life with humanity. The very creator became the very thing he created. And I love the life of Jesus through the gospels because we see how Jesus interacted with people. We see how he talked with people, how he walked. We see the miracles that Jesus did. We see that Jesus would touch people who were blind and never seen a day in their life and they would open their eyes and see. We can see that Jesus uh, touched people who had never spoken a day in their life and they would begin to speak and he would open ears who had never even heard their own name and they would begin to hear because he performed miracles. He would feed multitudes of people. He would raise people from the dead and offer them life again in him. He would save people from their sins and do things that no man had ever done done before that time or since because he's a miracle working God who came to do life with humanity and not just tell humanity how to live, but he showed humanity how we should live. And he did so by serving us. I love that Jesus brought significance to every single one of us by serving us. You see, relevance is the fuel of significance. And one thing I believe, I believe this simple truth is that we are on this planet to serve each other. That's why God placed us here was to serve each other. And we can't have an impact on others if we're not relevant to others. Our relevance is determined by how the world sees who we are and how we show who he is and how that matters to others. I believe relevance trumps intelligence because you can be right and know everything like the Pharisees, but if you're not relevant to somebody, they may never wanna give their life to Jesus. 
You see, in a world where we're drowning with information but starving for wisdom, relevance is not a matter of what we know, but it's a matter of how what we know matters to somebody else. Relevance, this is a life-changing definition of relevance. You see, relevance means mattering more to others for others. Relevance means to live a life that matters more, which leads me to my final step tonight, which is an invitation step. And it's that Jesus invites us into the story. A fundamental truth that we can all stand on today is that we can participate in the story, that he's invited each and every one of us into the story. We must remember today that fads change, that the winds of time will blow something new in every single time, but fundamentals never change. In sports, the basketball still has to go in the hoop. The football still has to cross the goal line with zero seconds left on the clock for Ohio State to win. (laughs) And for us as a church, God still changes lives through relevant congregations. How do you show up? How are you empathetic and authentic in your walk with Christ? And as a church, our actions must speak louder than our words ever do. And this is why Jesus stepped into humanity. This is why Jesus exchanged a crown of royalty. He had it all. He knew it all. He exchanged a crown of royalty for a crown of thorns because he wanted to be relevant to who we are, not some distant, far-off gods where Pharisees could write laws to abide by what's right, but he wanted to do life with every single one of us. I love that the word of God says that when Jesus came to our earth, he took on the very nature of a slave. He took on the nature of a servant. He became the very thing that he created. He became you and me. It's wild to think that Jesus was a man. It's just crazy to me. But he exchanged royalty for humanity. Scripture says he became a slave, but then it goes on to say just a few verses later, it says at the mention of his name, that he would be pierced for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, all that stuff. It says, but at the mention of his name, every knee would bow, every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He became nothing yet to become everything so that we could have life in him. And today we get to participate in that story. I love what Psalms 148 says. It says this, it says, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him from the skies. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all armies of heaven. It's an amazing scripture to read. And I love that the psalmist here, that he starts with the largeness of the universe saying, praise him, right? Praise Jesus, praise the Lord, praise him. And I love that the psalmist starts with that because God is a creator. He's an awesome God, an amazing God that's created everything in this entire universe and in this entire world. He's created so much that we can't even fully comprehend it. But the psalmist wanted to get in touch with the largeness and the vastness of who God is and what he has created. And then he says, you know what? I'm gonna land in the human heart. In verse seven, he goes on to say, the psalmist says, praise the Lord from the earth, you creatures of ocean depths. He goes on to say, um, 
and fire and hell, snow and clouds, wind and weather that obey him, praise him, right? And it goes on to say, mountain and hills, fruit trees and cedars, wild animals and all livestock, small scurrying animals and birds, kings and earth, all people, rulers and judges of the earth, young men and young women, old men and children, let them all praise the name of the Lord for his name is very great. His glory towers over the earth. It towers over the heavens. Praise the Lord. It's amazing that scripture says that and we should praise God with everything we've got. And, and, and I love what God does with scripture here. He always starts with something bigger than you and me. He starts with the largeness, the vastness of creation in the universe. And then he lands in the human heart because that's how he created everything. The psalmist moves from the galaxy and then lands in the human heart. And the psalmist talks about the heavens worshiping God, the galaxies worshiping God, the stars worshiping God. And then it lands to the earth worshiping God. And it talks about, you know, the sea creatures and the animals that roam and the African, uh, the, the Roman Africa and everything from the water and the desert and the wind and the mountains and the animals. And then he got to us. And he said, I want you in the story because unlike the whales and unlike the lions and unlike everything that roams in this world and unlike the stars, we have a different voice. We have a different voice than all of creation because unlike all of those things, we are special in all of creation because God made it. He made it, he made it, he made it, he made it. And then he said, I'm gonna make something spectacular. And he fashioned and formed us and he, in his own image. And then he said, I'm gonna make something spectacular. I'm gonna make something good. He made you, he made me in his own image. The word of God says that you were knit together in your mother's womb, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made by the God of all creation. It says that divinity is in your hearts, that eternity is in our hearts. And scripture says it's in our hearts because our voice is a different voice than the wind and the waves that crash. Our voice is a different voice than the stars that are spinning in creation that's giving God praise according to the psalmist. Our voice is a different voice. And, and, and I love this is that God has given us everything that we've ever needed in life. He's given it all to us. And he says, I want you worshiping me with all of creation. But you know what we've done? You know what I've done? I've taken everything that this God of all creation has given me. And oftentimes I've pushed it right back in his face. If you're honest today, we've said, God, I don't need you. God, I don't want you. God, I know you're telling me to go this direction, but I'm gonna try going this direction. Scripture says that all, all have sinned and fallen short of his glory. Each and every one of us has gone astray. Each and every one of us has gone our own way. And when we did in a moment, he could have brushed us to the side and said, I've got a whole universe worshiping me, but that's not what he did. That's not what he did. He said, I want you in the story. I want you, I want you. I wanna invite you, humanity, into the story. And in response to me and our rejection and our sin, he did something unimaginable. He did something unthinkable. 
He said, I'm going to step into your world, into a world that we have made a mess of, into a world that we have broken, into a world that we have corrupted. He said, I'm going to step into your corrupt mess and I am going to step into your mess. And even more unimaginable and thinkable, he said, I'm going to take the whips and I'm going to take the shame and I'm going to take the, condi- I'm going to take the condemnation that's supposed to be on your life. And he said, I'm going to put it on my life. And then he said something more unthinkable. He said, I'm going to be the peacemaker between man and God. And I'm going to glorify a merciful God of all creation. And I'm going to hang on a cross for and from all generations and offer anyone who wants it brand new life. And he died on a cross and was placed in a grave. He was. And he was placed in a grave and by the power of God, he rose again on the third day to offer anyone brand new life. And that, that is what relevance is because he stepped into our story into our mess. He became the very sin that we had committed. He became that for us so we could have life. If there's any moment in history that I could be in, I would have been inside the tomb when he took his first breath. I would have been there because it wasn't just his first breath. It was him offering me life, you life and humanity life. And that church is the most relevant thing that I can speak about this morning because the word was written and the word became flesh. He dwelt among us and then he offers us life. That CLC is grace. That is extravagant grace. And our response to extravagant grace has to be extravagant worship. The most relevant thing that can happen in your life today is if you invite Jesus into your life. Maybe you're not living for him. I encourage you here in a second to invite Jesus into your life. He's already paved the way. All he wants is your heart. And maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor Chris, this message is awesome. Like I'm doing really good in my walk with Christ. It's amazing. Like God is awesome. But the reality of it is, is maybe six seats down or maybe two aisles back. There's someone here this morning that's struggling, that you're going through something really difficult. And if you'd be honest with me and honest with God today, you'd say, yep, that's me. Because one thing I know is that God can handle your honesty. That you can come to God just the way you are and he'll transform your heart and life. Today, I would ask that everyone would stand up on your feet because one thing I know is that if the stars were made to worship, so will I. If the mountains bow and tremble, so will I. This morning, I told you my goal was was this, my goal was that everyone would participate in his story because his story is our story. This morning, I encourage you, I inspire you to worship God with everything you have this morning.